Bring it in. Read option here with me on a Tuesday, March 28th. And this is episode 98 of the podcast. That is right. We are one week away from our 100th episode. And uh, we don't have Vito today, just Scotty. So me and Scotty hanging on the fort. Vito's in Vegas. Yeah, is he he's, working? He's, What's he doing? He was at a bachelor party, and now That's I believe I he's he's taking a day to work there. I don't know. I'm not sure. They, but, uh, you, you know, know I gave him some money, and he lost it all on red. So, I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Vito would be a – I could see Vito as an awesome, like, blackjack player. More of a social game, you know, as opposed to, like, playing poker, where I feel like, you know, the he would get a little too excited talking to people in poker and then be like, ah, fuck it. You know what I mean? I think blackjack yeah. – no, maybe craps. Oh, he'd be amazing at a craps table. Craps would be phenomenal. Yeah, I was gonna say craps, uh, roulette. He's is uh, is right up his uh, his street. Uh, yeah, so those games where you gotta you gotta focus and calculate a little bit, like yeah. uh, like a lot of the the table games that you uh, know, like when he'd be rolling the dice at the craps table, and he would like you know blow blowing the dice. Like he would get every girl sit, standing around the craps table to blow on the dice. That's also yeah. you not playing favorites. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my God, Mike. Uh, the office good, good call, Scott. Um, so next week, like I said, Tuesday's pod will be the one hundredth episode. Obviously, it's a it's a mile marker for us. It's a it's a big time thing to get to 100 episodes. Uh, century it's, mark. Uh, century mark. Month. Well, you know what I mean? Like I, I was I wasn't using it literally, Scotty, but thank you. Um, so <laughs> we're super excited for that. We will make sure we have the whole crew together for that episode. We will adjust our schedules, might even have to record on Sunday just to make sure everybody's there. But we will all be there. And we will all, you know, just just kind of celebrate it. We did a bunch at the one year anniversary mark. So we're not going to go through all the, you know, oh, what was your favorite moment? Because it's been, what, two months since we hit that mark. So I don't think we need to go and rehash the stuff that's happened in the last two months. And be like, oh, this is my favorite moment. But it is a significant thing. And to kind of commemorate that and celebrate that, uh, we have some interesting and, and fun announcements about the pod. So we'll, we're going to lead off the show with some of those announcements. We're going to recap. Uh, the slap heard around the world. I think you guys know on this pod, we don't talk much about pop culture stuff or this, even just the stuff that like everybody's talking about, unless we feel like we have to. I said to you, Scott, before we recorded, this is just something we have to talk about because literally mm-hmm. everybody's talking about it and it's insane. And I have a lot of thoughts and it's going to be fun. Well, what happened? Uh, <laughs> you'll find out. Uh, so oh. we have, we have some time before, uh, we're, again, we're not gonna spend a ton of time on that, but then we're going to recap March madness. That is the number one thing in sports right now. We have a loaded Final Four. It's blue bloods everywhere. Duke, North Carolina. The storybook is is as perfect as it could possibly be for Coach K to go out on top. So we'll talk about that, preview a little bit of the Final Four, but we'll save a lot of previews for Friday's pod. And then basically this episode is a sports gumbo, right? So we're going to do some college hoops. We're going to do some NFL free agency, post-free agency rankings. I read an interesting article today, and it seems like things are all over the place. We're going to do a little bit of that. Another uh, rankings? That's two in a row, buddy. I, you <laughs> know what? Froggy. We're in the season, man. We're we're. I, I, I might be jumping the gun on ranking season, but you know what? The sports media rankings never sleep. Uh, hashtag then, ranking season. <laughs> hashtag ranking season. Then we're gonna hit uh, NBA. We're down to just about eight games, give or take. Obviously, every team's played different amounts, but uh, we're gonna do some MVP talk. Maybe talk to, touch a little bit on the All NBA stuff because there's some interesting debates there about you know. Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, they all, they're the top three candidates for MVP. 
And yet all three of them may not be allowed to even be on the first team all NBA, which is absolutely a problem. And then we're going to close out with some golf news. We are about a week and a half away from the masters uh, a week and a few days, give or take, I think it might be 10 days exactly. So we're going to hit on some golf stuff and a, perhaps maybe a big cat who, uh, who might be sneaking in at Augusta. So uh, excited about all of that. Um, but like I said, to start off the show, some announcements, we are creating a YouTube channel. It's in the works, just pending some approval stuff uh, from now on starting hopefully on Friday's pod, but definitely by at least Tuesday of next week, all of our podcasts, you will be able to watch on YouTube. Uh, along with that, we are also going to be doing some more live stream stuff. Some of you might remember we did a live stream on Twitch pre-draft last year. We're going to try to do some live streams for the actual draft itself because Scott, you and I were on Zoom for that whole first round last year and it was absolutely electric. The Trey Lance pick, the Devontae Smith yeah. pick, our reactions, <clears throat> it was awesome. So hopefully the three of us can get together, have some drinks. We'll be live streaming a little bit there on hopefully YouTube might end up being Twitch. We're still working some of the details out on that. And again, the 100th episode coming up here. It's a big deal for us. I know we just celebrated a year, but it is a big deal. So that's kind of where we stand right now. We're also going to start making some non- uh, podcast related content here and there, maybe some short clips, some individual monologue rant stuff, pulling our favorite clips. So you'll be able to get a lot more video content from the read option uh, on YouTube starting here, hopefully within the next week. All right. News and notes done. Let's talk about the slap. All right. If you have been living <laughs> under a rock, if you've been living <laughs> under a rock, <laughs> is that your Will Smith laugh? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it kind of sounded like it, um, like getting jiggy with it style. Um, mm-hmm. So the Oscars were last night. And again, if you haven't been paying attention, one of the beautiful things about Twitter is when moments like what happened last night happened. Now, Will Smith, during the middle of Chris Rock's opening monologue, got up after a joke was made about his wife, Jada Pickett, and... Uh, he slapped the shit out of, out of Chris Rock. Just cold, out of nowhere, walks up on stage, Kanye West style, and just absolutely slapped the shit out of Chris Rock. Um, the jokes were flying left and right. The conspiracy theories, they were hot in the streets. People coming out saying this is fake. This is all planned. You know, the ratings were down. They had to do something. And then this somehow turned into a political thing where it's like, well, if that was Lena Dunham up there, you know, making the speech would and making the joke, would he have gone up and still slapped? There's a million different things. And Twitter, for all of its downsides, this is why Twitter is still king. Because I went to a, a small little indie rock concert last night. And on the way back, my roommate and I are driving and I am scrolling Twitter. And all of a sudden, it was like I saw it live. Like I didn't, wasn't watching it live, but I saw the reactions live. And I saw the unedited you know uncensored australian reaction or, or live video where he says you know keep your wife's name out of your fucking mouth and he said it twice on a scale of one to ten how uncomfortable were you when you actually saw all of this go down because just like we were saying in a serious conversation about deshaun watson last week where i'm like i don't necessarily know how to feel about this in a much more lighthearted way I was just sitting there stunned having that exact same reaction of just being like, what in the fuck just happened? 
yeah, I mean, it's a is a little shocking, you know, just at face value, right? No pun intended. <laughs> because in like, the face. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you know, for for all that he's he's you know endured over the over the past few years, even uh, Will Smith is not one to um, to take defense of of being bullied or or anyone you know seeing his marriage roll out in front of the the entire world uh, in, in in live action uh, or, or any any anything like that. Uh, any anyone making fun of meme making him memes uh, anything like that he's never been one to do it and he chose uh, interestingly I thought chose a, a night where uh, where he'd been on on a decline and been on sort of a comeback trail uh, with with his acting career that uh, that it had all come to uh, a crowning moment and a night where he won best actor and that's the night that he decides to uh, to retaliate against the uh, the bullies and the the haters and the naysayers, and uh, and defend his family and his wife's honor, uh, <clears throat> particularly after uh, after all that marriage had been through. And I I, I thought it was odd uh, timing, um, but I I think that uh, neither him nor Chris Rock uh, are are any the worse for it. I mean, I, I feel like at this point Will Smith has just, if anything, increased his value to to Hollywood. Uh, I mean, he might get kicked out of the Academy. He might lose the Oscar I, for best actor so. because of this. I don't think that'll happen. I, I, I don't think it pro again, I don't know that world is a, a bunch, but one of my really, really good friends from college, uh, my friend Carson, she has worked in film and, and TV industry. Like she, the Oscars is one of her favorite nights of the year. And she was the first person I thought of when all this happened. And I texted her, I was like, is this like, what in the hell happened like what's going on and and she has who has a much better understanding of this than i do again one of the first lessons you learn in media know what you don't know and ask the people who do she thinks there's a really good chance it might happen you know because this i mean it's an embarrassment for the thing i mean the fact that like quest love who made an unbelievable documentary the summer of soul and one had just won so was about to get announced it's one of my all-time favorite documentaries <clears throat> The fact that he got completely upstaged by this was dumbfounding to me. Now, the actual like progression there and and you said it right. You're, he's defending his wife's honor. I understand there's a lot of people whose response was like, oh, my God, you can't take a joke, you know, and oh, cancel culture. Right. You can't make any jokes anymore. Like people didn't think it was that bad. I know Jada Pickett Smith has um, uh, what's the disease? Alopecia. Alopecia. Right. She has alopecia. So and, that's and a disease course, where you lose your hair. You can't grow hair. Yeah. Um, but when you watch the video, he he laughs immediately. And then he looks over and his wife has a, a, a um, less, than, <laughs> less yeah. than thrilled look on her face. She rolls her eyes and kind of gets a little mad and annoyed by it. Um, and then all of a sudden it like something clicked in his brain. And and you're right. Like the Smith family as a whole has gone from being like one of america's like favorite families like will smith was on the track record to be like the next tom hanks right like you think about him in like the i am legend days right mm -hmm. and everything from there there's a sequel by the way coming out is there maybe, oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah uh but yeah maybe, who knows now um <clears throat> though he dies at the end of that spoilers 
Um, and I love that movie. It's a, it's a great one. It's a fantastic movie. But you think about his career and he was one of those America's sweetheart kind of guys. Like everybody loved them. When the Karate Kid reboot came out with Jackie Chan and, and Jaden Smith, that was actually a pretty good movie, honestly. Like, and for most remakes that are trash, especially nowadays, this decline, for lack of a better word, at least public image-wise over the last few years has been pretty steep. And it's come from a bunch of different places. Obviously, Jaden Smith has uh, a lot of like mental health stuff. Will, Fer- uh, Will Ferrell, Will Smith came out and talked about his mental health. They, they were separated for a while. And then Will Smith became a meme, him crying, right? Became a meme. And then it was like, oh yeah, they have an open marriage. And then it's like, oh yeah, but only she's the one that's out there doing it. And oh yeah, they're actually Scientologists, but wait, maybe they may not be Scientologists. <clears throat> it's been this crazy roller coaster with them where now they're almost looked at as like the crazy people. Like they're looked yeah. at as like the crazy family. And just, this just kind of adds to that, whether that's fair or unfair. I think it's, it's, it's a couple of things. One, the fact that that had to, like I said in my in my first statement, the fact that that had to play out in front of everyone in the world is in and of itself a, a huge problem. But it didn't have but, to. It didn't have to. It. it, it but again, it, that's just the that nature happen. of the media. Yeah, and and so that's fine. And and, uh, and again, like to to the degree that uh, that that was the moment to. Uh, to to retaliate and, and and think and against a comment that that was wholly unnecessary by the way just a, a terrible joke it was more of a comedy central it was more of a comedy central roast <clears throat> joke yeah than an academy awards but like if that's the bar for being able to go up and and slap somebody on stage across the entire world on internationally broadcast you know thing then how the hell did Ricky Gervais not get his fucking head taken off? Well, yeah. Like Ricky Gervais was way meaner, way meaner and was way more sincere about it. Like he actually hates the people in Hollywood and, and called them out on the hypocrisy. And like, when you go back and watch his monologues, I find them absolutely incredible, but he said way worse shit. So why Will Smith, why Will Smith put it upon himself that like, this is the moment, like, I can't defend him. I, I can't. I don't care. Like if he made like a really, really fucked up joke, which again, like we're talking about a national audience here or an international audience here. I, there's, I don't think there's a joke he could have said that would have warranted that reaction in that moment. Yeah, <clears throat> no, agreed. And I think one of the, the, the bigger parts to me too, is that uh, on a night and think about this uh, in a sort of ironic way, right? Will Smith wins the best actor for uh, a movie about a family uh, who had two black daughters break through and become superstars in their sport. And, and it's, it's a movie championing uh, feminism. It's a movie championing representation of women and, and black people. And, and you get, you get that across the, the night, right? Ariana DeBose had a West side story uh, quest love, even with the, uh, with uh with the documentary and then like the, the Coda, Coda, i mean the, yeah yeah so with the the hearing impaired uh so the whole night of, of being made about representation and then uh to for a guy who won an award for best actor in a movie that encapsulates that to to iterate on that violence is just, like 
the he irony even of that had is a, just stellar. He had a perfect out and he vocalized it. And yet he was like, he, he said, right. You know, King, I worked on a movie that's about a father who would go to any extent to protect his family. Right. And to stand up and, and, you know, represent his family and, and make the most out of that. Right. That's like a huge part. And he says that in his speech, but he just doesn't, he doesn't think to connect the points to what he said, or he tried to be vague about it to like, Oh, you guys can connect what I'm saying here. Oh yeah. And he you didn't have a speech writer there. <laughs> he's bawling his eyes out. You know, it, it just felt weird. I liked King Richard. I didn't think he was amazing in it. And maybe that's more, representative of of this class of movies or something like i i didn't walk away being like that's the best act, you know actor and a male actor and in, in a leading role or whatever but you know he wins the award he's been a beloved actor for a long time great i would have been happy for him but like even if he had just said the keep my wife's name out of your fucking mouth and didn't go up on on stage and <clears> slap <throat> him yeah it would have been a story but it would have been nowhere near what we're talking about with this which is just flat out insanity like, I, yeah. I just like there's no excuse for the violence and the people no. who are calling for assault and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, let's like tone it down. All right. You're being a little too much of a keyboard <laughs> yeah. warrior. It's a fucking. You know style. what I thought of is the uh, the the tweets that people were flying off immediately after. It, it reminded me of the you remember when Miles Garrett took a swing with the helmet and yes. all Adam Schefter tweeted was, was the word, assault. one word assault. That's all assault. I could see in like Twitter. It was like. It was insane. But no, I mean, like, I, again, my bigger point <clears throat> is not only the, the, the action itself, but the, the fact that it overshadowed all the, the strides and representation that were represented at the Oscars last night. And, and this is now the, the big story is about two black men that, that, that got into it like this. And that's, I, that's I think the, it's all the of bigger it. problem. I mean, it's, it took away from everything else. And, and a product, by the way, that has been on such a sharp decline yeah. For so for like the last decade, the Oscars went from being like we had family friends who would have Oscar parties and they would all oh, yeah. go all out and yeah, everyone bingo, would dress up yeah. and yeah, and everyone would do a whole thing. Yeah, like it was like like Super Bowl level. Like people would have parties, like you would have a Super Bowl party for the Oscars. To now, I think the majority of Americans probably didn't even realize that it was that day until like the week of. You know, I think I heard like Wednesday last week that it was like, oh yeah, the Oscars are the Sunday. And because people just don't care. And, and again, that could be a whole nother conversation could be how this like the last 10 years, people are watching more TV shows and they're watching, you know, bingeable TV shows on Netflix, Hulu and Apple TV and all that. I, stuff. I think it's the amount of content. Yeah, exactly. There's like, so much con- that's YouTube, everything going direct to, to streaming. Yeah. So I, I don't know about why or, or whatever, but this is just such a it's such a bad look. People roasted them. They seem to be like defiantly defending themselves where they're like, you know, like even Jaden Smith tweeted out like, that's how we do or something like something like that's what we that's do in this family. That's, right? uh, that's Jackson Mahomesian. A little. And like, again, <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, if you said, hey, a man defended his wife who was getting made fun of al- for having alopecia. If you just said that sentence and he slapped another guy without any of the other context, I wouldn't have any problem with this whatsoever. But I also, I, I mean, I, I would have somewhat of a, you know, I would say like, hey, maybe don't, you know, try to beat the guy up or whatever, you know, if you want don't to stand let up your, your emotions wife. take over a primal instinct to. Uh... I just feel like I just felt like this whole thing was just so weird and unnecessary and bizarre. And I think it just further plays into this whole like 
I guess Will Smith is kind of a, a crazy person, but then you feel like a dick for even saying that because he's talked about his mental health issues. And, but then you're like, are you ignored? Like it just was, the whole thing was weird. And then I also couldn't stop laughing at all the tweets and the memes. And that's what I said at the beginning of this. And we'll move on because we don't need to spend, you know, any more time talking about this, this, this whole incident. But going back to what I said at the beginning is like, this is what makes Twitter still worth it. When you have moments like this, even the Miles Garrett thing, which was a lot scarier even than what this was. But when you have things like that, when you have like the, you know, Brian Colangelo situation in Philly, any of these moments where it feels like all of Twitter gets together and people are just getting off jokes left and right. It just, it's why, it's why Twitter, in my opinion, despite it being an absolute cesspool is still the best social media platform because I, I could not stop laughing and I kind of felt like a dick, but at the same time, I kind of didn't care. Cause I'm like, honestly, Will Smith, you kind of made an ass out of yourself and congrats. You won the best actor. You might lose it. You might not, but this is going to be one of those moments that like it's talked about forever. You know, like this is the Kanye. I'm gonna let you finish on steroids and Credit to Chris Rock, by the way, who apparently has the strongest jaw in America because Will Smith, what it wasn't just like a little, he wound the fuck up and was trying to take Chris Rock's head off. But again, if the bar for these jokes is there, then Ricky Gervais probably would have gotten jumped at every single time he hosted the Oscars. It's just what it's, it's crazy to me. It's fucking nuts. Um, yeah. All right, let's move on to what most of the weekend was about until late Sunday night, which is March Madness. We have a Final Four. UNC, eight seed to the Final Four. They're taking on Duke for the first time in NCAA tournament history that we're going to get these two. I think, and I don't know this for sure, but this has to be the first time these two have played on a, like a neutral court in a, in a long time, if, if not ever. You know, there might have been like a specialty game, but you never see these two out. Well, I guess the ACC tournament. They've they've played a bunch, so that's probably what it's going to feel like for the most part. But on the final four on oh, this no. stage, much different. <laughs> it's going it's going to be a whole another ball game. Uh, and then on the other side, we have Villanova, we have Kansas, uh, two teams that have been playing as good basketball. Kansas has had a relatively easy ride. They haven't really been tested yet. I don't know if that's because of the teams they were playing or if because they've just been that good. I tend to lean more towards the teams, but can't discredit it. Meanwhile, Villanova just wins close games and just finds ways to keep on winning. So we're going to have a great final four, but how we got there is, uh, is, is probably <laughs> worth talking about in, in a year where we had so many different um, upsets, so many fun storylines in this tournament, obviously the St. Peter's run um, St. Peter's making it to the elite eight. You called it last week when we made our predictions unbelievable run. And I will say right now it's the greatest underdog March Madness Cinderella run in the history of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. Even though they didn't make it to the final four. Right. I mean, your contenders are what like Loyola, Chicago, um, George Mason, I would throw 1985 Villanova in that mix too, uh, because Georgetown was so ridiculously good that year with Patrick Ewing and it's an eight seed, still the highest seed to ever win a national championship or lowest seed. However you, you know, describe that mm -hmm. out. Um, is the, so what was your main takeaway, I guess, from sweet 16 and elite eight? Cause the sweet 16, I thought was awesome. I thought we had a bunch of great games and then the elite eight kind of sucked. 
it was flat, man. And and so some of these games in the in the Elite Eight were good at the beginning, and then they all just turned into into routes. Like I didn't think there was a particularly huge difference uh, in the Elite Eight between um, between the uh, the uh, Villanova and uh, oh my god, did they even play Houston? Uh, Houston, or- thank you. Uh, and uh, and the Duke Arkansas game, I thought both like at face value. If I gave you the numbers and the box score, you'd be like, "Oh, wow, those are like pretty identical games." Other than the score, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, Houston had uh, what twenty points at halftime? It was twenty-seven twenty or something like that. Yeah. Uh, at the half, the score so, was closer in Nova and Houston, but but there then wasn't they, they a single away. moment yeah. that I didn't think Villanova was going to win that game. And yeah. it's the same and it was, Duke it was, was the, the same, same on way. the other side. Yeah, Duke it was, the was same in on the other side. Game. And then the the next day it was the the, the same. I mean, North Carolina was in, in control of the game the entire way, uh, and and so was Kansas. Uh, well, after at the second half, uh, yeah. So, so I mean, it, it, it was it was kind of a flat uh, elite eight for me. But I look, a lot of the what I took away is that the teams. Uh, particularly the coaches who were were saying what they needed to do to win Uh, Duke saying that they need to, uh, to be fast and and on offense and, and beat some of the lateral equipments that Arkansas had Uh, Villanova doing their thing and being able to stretch the floor and and spread the ball out and get uh, wide open threes and do their thing. Uh, North Carolina, same way, just keep scoring, uh, which they've been out on absolute tear. And then Kansas, you know, uh, the resilience that they have with, what are actual probably uh, NBA players against a, a gritty team of, uh, of 25 somethings that, uh, that have been around the block uh, in Miami. Mm-hmm. Every team did what they needed to do and wanted to do to win the game. Yeah. Uh, and, and that sounds cliche, but that's really hard to do in the elite eight. And, and coach K has even said, I mean, and Bill self has said it too. This is the hardest game. Uh, when you get to this point, this is the hardest game to win is to get to that one step to get to the final four. Kansas looked as good in the second half as any team. Oh, all, yeah. They just tournament. stepped on the throat. It was yeah. the best half of basketball any team has played in this entire tournament. But this is my issue with Kansas, because they didn't look great against Providence. But again, it's another team like Miami, right? A bunch of older guys who are good in close games. I think they're going to have a – the thing with Kansas is just – I don't know if we know what we're going to get. And that's kind of been the story with them this year. For the most part, they've been consistent. They beat bad teams, right? If it's a, if it's a team they're supposed to beat, they beat them. But if it's a good team that's going to challenge them, they don't play their best basketball. We saw that multiple times throughout their run in conference play in the Big 12. But the game that was the most you know eye-opening for Kansas all year, they lost at home in Lawrence to Kentucky by 30 earlier this year. Right. And mm-hmm. Kentucky lost in the first round. I think we can agree that, you know, Kentucky was is a very good team and, and they just ran into a, a a weird team in St. Peter's. Right. Who then goes on this big run. But I think we also learned that St. Peter's is actually a pretty damn good basketball team. So yeah. that loss definitely doesn't look as bad. But I think Kentucky will never was forget of, you, Ducky Buckets. We'll no, never forget you, Dougie. Well, that's there's already a Dougie Mick Buckets. So, I mean, I, I think he just needs to be the Doug. Man. I think he just needs to be the Doug. Like, I think that's just how we know him from, from now on. Just remember Doug? Like, then that's it, you know. Um, but Kansas, similar to Kentucky, was this up-and-down team where they would play bad teams really, really well. And then, with the exception of one or two games, they would fall kind of flat when they'd play tougher, you know, opponents. 
Villanova is just the model of consistency. And I think that matchup's really fascinating because I think right now a lot of the early money is on Kansas. And that just doesn't make sense to well, me. It, it does to me, though, because Villanova's not deep and they just lost one of their best players in Justin Moore, who has a, yeah. a torn ACL or a torn Achilles. Achilles, rather, sorry, which is a huge loss. Uh, and I feel so bad for it because it was just a fluke play. He was, all he was doing was like a, a normal cut to dribble drive to the left. Um, Reminded me of when KD tore his ACL uh, in, the, yeah. in the finals against the, or his Achilles in the game against uh, the finals against Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was a, a weird fluky injury and I didn't think anything of it really until they started showing the replays in slow-mo and I was like, uh-oh. Yeah, I think uh, Jim Jackson was the color guy there, and, and he was saying, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I saw you, – you could see – or was him or the play-by-play guy? But he's like, oh, you could see something pop. just going like – You could see something pop. And that's obviously never never a good sign. So, yeah. So, I do get it from that It's going to be a tough void to fill, yeah. But, you know, again, Villanova is a team that can score – and uh, and they got that kid. Uh, what's the the guy who was the MVP of the region? Samuel, uh, the forward. Yeah, uh, Samuels, who's who can do it all, and and he's going to be uh, a menace for those guys, uh, those big guys down low, Jobby and uh, and uh, McCormick. If he plays a lot uh, for Kansas, uh, that's going to be a tough matchup. And then you know the other thing about uh, that Villanova game against uh, against Houston was, and they scored, but. Connor Gillespie did not have a good day at all shooting the ball. Um, and, and so now with Justin Moore out, they're going to need him to, to step up. And I, I applaud I Villanova for being able to step up and win a game like that without their best score scoring. That's what I was just going to say. Like, I think, I think that says a lot about this Villanova team and yeah, yeah. It, it sucks that they're not going to have Justin Moore. That, that is an absolute heartbreaker, but you know, basically what they need is another shooter on the floor and they need Gillespie and everybody else to step up. And to me, coaching, not to say Bill, Bill Self is a great coach. All right. This is nothing against Bill Self. But historically, outside of 2008, which Mario Chalmers hit one of the biggest shots in the history of the NCAA tournament in the Final Four to get them even to the national championship game, you know, it was buzzer beater in overtime, the three, right? You know, he hasn't done great in big games historically. In fact, when's, I can't even remember, when was the last time Kansas was in the Final Four? I think it might have been mm. since 2008. I, I could be wrong there. We can we'll pull up the 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 page and we'll 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 get stats and research on that. But I just I trust Villanova and I also think Villanova is going to be a team that rallies around losing a player. You know, it, it goes back to the the Bill Simmons Ewing theory, right? Which is that when Patrick Ewing got hurt and the Knicks made the run in was it 90, 99, 90, whenever they made their run uh to the NBA finals without him, uh like that was a weird thing where it's like, Hey, you took out your best player and yet everybody else picks up for the slack and it actually kind of helps unite the team in a way. I think there's a chance that we have a little bit of that. Nobody believes in us. Ewing theory, we're missing one of our best players and everybody steps up. But when you put it that way, Hey, you know, they lost Justin Moore. I do, I do get it, but I think I, and I know coach K is still coaching by the way, but even with coach K coaching, Right now, I still think Jay Wright is the best basketball coach left, and I do think he's the best basketball coach in college basketball. I don't understand how people can argue it at this point. Izzo? Fuck Tom Izzo. What? Tom Izzo hasn't won shit since the year 2000, right? We talked about that last <laughs> week when we were talking about the Big, team, Big Ten teams. I Jay Wright, what he's done 
right? You figure, take 2020 out because they didn't have the tournament, right? So 2016, national championships. Uh, 2017, I think they got eliminated in like the Sweet 16. 2018, national championship. 2019, they lose after a couple rounds in the tournament. No, none in 2020. Last year, the best player gets hurt right before the tournament after Con Gillespie tore his ACL in the Big in the Big East tournament. And then, once again, back here in the in the big or in the Final Four, three Final Fours in five years. That like, there's only a handful of coaches in the history of college basketball who have ever done that. But we still, for whatever reason, treat Villanova like an afterthought. And maybe it's because they're just not flashy. Right. Maybe it's just because they, you know, like that game against Houston was super boring. The first, I mean, it was like the first, I saw Nicole Auerbeck made a joke. The first team that gets to 50 is going to win this game. Ironically, <laughs> Villanova won 50 to 44, but they win close games. They hit their free throws. They can defend like nobody's business and they can pour it in from three. And if Colin Gillespie was cold in the elite eight, Colin Gillespie's probably going to come out with his head on fire in this game because he knows in order for them to win, he has to put up probably 25 plus points in this game which in the college level is like putting up 35 in the NBA. Yeah. Um, so I still am leaning Villanova. The fear that I have, and this is for all anti-Duke people, is that Villanova getting to the national championship without one of their best players is just going to set up the path for Duke to win the title that much easier if they get past UNC. And UNC, I think they, they, they had their win against Duke this year. In order for them to replicate it, I think it's going to be really, really hard. I mean, think about this story, okay? UNC goes into Cameron and spoils the last home game of Coach K's career in the regular season. And improbably, here they are playing each other in the Final Four. Not only in the Final Four, but the first time they've ever played each other in the NC2A tournament here in the final four, the story could not get any more storybook. Mm. I, like, I don't know. Name a better one. Cause this is, this is crazy. There isn't there, there, there is not, there would not be a better story in college basketball history than, than Duke finding a way to win the national title this year. And coach K's last year in this style, knocking off Tom Izzo along the way, beating a really good Texas Tech team, beating a really good Arkansas team. And then by circumstance, they face an eight seed in the final four. The eight seed is and nine are two of the toughest spots to reach the final four because you have to beat more than likely a one seed in order to get there. And you're facing them in the second round. That spot for them to get there, to continue to win. The, even the UCLA game, like UCLA had a chance to win that game. UCLA mm -hmm. was right there. And I give a ton of credit to North Carolina thinking about the, Hey, they blew a 25 point lead against Baylor and yet they still came in and then, okay, you get the 15 seed, a team that you should absolutely blow out of the water and they go out and they do that. The only thing here that is called giving me hope is that Hubert Davis had an all time quote in uh, his press conference. And I'm probably going to butcher it. And I apologize to listeners. because I don't have it right up in front of me, but he said, he told his guys there are three kinds of people, right? Those who are afraid to fight, those who will fight, and then those who are looking for a fight. He said, I want my guys to be the ones looking for a fight. I don't know if this Duke team has that. Well, I think <laughs> – see, the jokes are going to come around – or they're going to be around forever. <laughs> um, I don't think this Duke team is built that way. And, yes, they beat a really 
quick, athletic, you know, good Arkansas team. But no, if, if Note wasn't cooking, Arkansas, I don't really think had much of a chance, right? Because I just think Duke is too talented. UNC is not an uberly talented team. This isn't one of those great, you know, Marcus Page teams that had a bunch of talent on it. But what they are are fucking nasty. And they're not afraid to throw elbows, as we saw in the game against Baylor, right? They're not afraid to, to challenge them. And I will say, if anything's going to bring that out of Duke, it's going to be this game with everything that's at stake. But if we thought the pressure was high in that last game at Cameron for, for Coach K and for Duke, imagine, like, getting up for this game. Like, if, if this game – if that sorry, if that game had as much pressure on it, this game has to have even more – because you already lost once, and now you definitely can't lose again, right? And think about Coach K yelling at all the fans and, and Cameron yeah. after the loss to shut yeah. up, right? You know, and, and talking about how this is unacceptable. That all, again, feeds right back into this whole story about why this season would be one of the most storybook in the history of, of Coach. I mean, they beat Gonzaga earlier, you know, opening weekend, right, on, on a last-second shot, mm-hmm. right? The amount of teams that they were able to win, oh, the ACC's down this year, and, oh, two ACC schools end up in the Final Four, which, by the way, I think that's kind three of Three in the Elite Eight. <laughs> it's kind of a bullshit thing when they were like, oh, look, there's three teams in the Elite Eight from the ACC. The tournament's fucking luck, all right? It's whoever comes out and plays that day. You can say the ACC had a down year this year because they absolutely 1,000% did. That is indisputable. Okay, yes, they ended up with three teams in the Elite Eight. You know who else was in the Elite Eight? St. Peter's. So shut the hell up, all right? Sorry. little oh, rant the there. Mac. <laughs> the ACC people have been pissing me off this week with that. Um, or last week, I should say. Uh, this game is going to be one of the most memorable in the history of the NCAA tournament. I hope so. I really do because if, it's set up for, for all of the, that. No matter how it goes, the only way it wouldn't would be if, if Duke just absolutely blows them out. That's the only way that this wouldn't be in that category, right? If UNC blows them out, we're remembering that as like, hey, that's how Coach K's career ends, mm-hmm. right? If they do somehow beat, you know, if they do blow out UNC and go to the, the championship and then win in the championship, it'll kind of be like a footnote along the story. It'll be obviously like, in the inevitable documentary, it'll be its own little section of the documentary, the game against UNC. But this game, one way or another, I think is going to go down as one of the most historic in the history of the NCAA tournament. And I'm not a Duke fan. I'm not really a huge UNC fan, but I don't know. And I'll say this too. I know, again, talking about storybook, the Villanova-UNC rematch would be epic. And I know people may not want that. I know it may not be as sexy as Coach K, you know, winning or whatever. But a UNC Villanova rematch from 2016 would be fucking epic. Uh, I mean, yeah, the way that game ended. (laughs) It's the greatest shot in the history of basketball. Well, and then the before that one was the greatest shot in the history of college basketball. Yeah, the Marcus Page uh, shot. From Marcus Page, yeah. And then and then Jenkins goes down and nails the best shot that nobody remembers. <laughs> but I, by the way, yeah. I'm not just saying it's the best shot in college basketball. I'm saying it's the best shot in basketball history. All of basketball. Before before uh, Kyrie, uh, Goomba Wale, you know? before Goomba Wale did it in the women's side for Notre Dame a couple of years ago, it was the only buzzer beater to win a championship. You know, like Jordan had buzzer beaters, right, to, to move on in, in the playoffs against Cleveland and other things. He also hit some big shots, and he obviously passed Steve Kerr and all that. None of those were pure buzzer beater game seven shot on the line. I would say, honestly, the Kyrie three in the Golden State and Cleveland finals in 2016 is probably the next closest. 
um, right after mm. that. But the Chris Jenkins buzzer beater 4-3 to win the championship is the greatest shot in the history of basketball. Sorry, I, I make that case all the time. Because again, for whatever reason, we don't give Villanova enough love. And I know that I'm a Villanova fan. I know that I, I might be biased here, but it's kind of hard to argue. It's kind of hard to argue that, all right? It's kind of hard to argue that, right? I mean, have I made any points about Villanova right now that are wrong? No, no. I just I, – I, I don't want you to get so excited because I, I know what the cliff is like. Uh, all right. My, for, they've won, they've won Philadelphia two out of, fans in particular. They've won two out of the last four, okay? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I, once, you, once you hit the greatest shot in the history of a sport to win a championship, you know – Things are th- things go a little better, right? Things yeah. get a little easier there. Um, so that's kind of where we stand right now in March Madness, and I am really excited for the Final Four. And I the the thing about yeah. this tournament and what I think has been so special about this year in particular, obviously, it's the return of fans, um, and there hasn't really been any singular iconic moment, right? There hasn't been a single buzzer beater. There hasn't no, been a it's big storylines. Yeah, it, it's but it's been great. We've had the greatest Cinderella run of all time. We have the greatest college coach, one of the greatest college coaches, probably top two, him and John Wooden, pick your poison, whatever, uh, in the history of the game, go, in his final year going on this run. They're taking on the their rival, which is arguably the biggest rivalry in sports. You have four traditional powerhouses who are all good playing in the final Blue floor. <laughs> and it's in New Orleans in the Superdome. I, it's The whole thing is fantastic. The whole thing is fantastic. And there's been yeah. great there's been great upsets along the way. I feel like there's been a ton of likable teams. I think the only team that's really unlikable is uh, Duke. And that's just because if you hate Duke, you hate Duke. And that's kind of like how most people kind of are. But I mean, whether it's Providence, whether it's the Iowa State and Miami run, right? Um, you know, Purdue coming up short. This obviously St. Peter's is the most likable team. Arkansas is super likable. Texas Tech, um, Notre Dame, you know, beating Rutgers at the end of the game to even get into it and then them making a like winning a game, continuing that streak of teams from the play in game, moving on to at least the second round. Um, just a bunch of really, really fun, fun basketball. And it's been a great tournament. So um, we're going to have a great conclusion to it next weekend. And we'll hopefully be recording our 100th episode after the national championship. So. I'm going to probably have to ask you guys to stay up late for that one, but it's our 100th episode, so, you know, we'll we'll do what we got to do. All right, quick break, come back. Sports Gumbo, NFL, NBA, Masters, all coming up on the other side. All right, so there's an article out on ESPN where they do the, – they always put out articles like this after each thing, like, oh, who won the draft, right, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this one was actually for free agency and field Yates said it. And multiple other people said, you know, this is arguably the craziest off season in the history of the NFL. We've documented it. And I joked with you, Scott, before we hopped on, this is the like first time in what three weeks that we haven't had a breaking NFL story to, to lead off the show with. Uh, and I kind of looked yeah. around like John Travolta in, in Pulp Fiction. Like, uh, what do we, what do we talk about again? What do we, what do we do here? Um, so I, I want to take the chance to take the opportunity to go through. And, and in this article ESPN did, they asked um, 12 of their insiders to pick what team they thought had the best offseason, uh, at least free agency slash trade so far. Uh, so not to discount the value of the draft. I think we all know how important the draft is. But free agency is usually the thing that kind of gets you over the hump. Um, and the draft is kind of how you build long-term success. So there's some teams, they listed eight teams here and I'll go through them in a second, but they listed eight teams. And other than one of them, 
all eight of these teams, so seven of the eight, are teams that are kind of right near a potential, like, hey, we could make a run, we could do a deep run, we could win a Super Bowl. Uh, So I think it's important to take a moment to kind of look here at what these, you know, player, like what these teams have done and and who has put themselves in a position where, hey, a couple of signings here, a couple of trades here. Now we might get one rookie who comes in as an impact player for us. But for the most part, these are the guys that are going to be around your run. Um, cause it's, and it's not always the splashy guy, right? Vince Young, Dream Team, it's, it's not always the splashy guys. A lot of times it's much more, hey, what are the best quality players that you're getting for the best price? What's the best value? Um, and, and so we're going to go through this here. The eight teams are Cincinnati, Buffalo, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Raiders, the Jags, the Denver Broncos, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Cleveland Browns. Of those eight teams. AFC. Yeah, it's a whole lot of AFC. In fact, uh, the entire thing is AFC teams. Um, don't know what that means, but obviously we know uh, it's kind of – The feels NFC like, is wide open, Jeff. <laughs> we know that it's been a bit of an arms race in the AFC here for the last uh, – better part of the last month since, you know, free agency opened up. So, of those eight teams – who do you agree had had the best offseason so far in terms of free agency trades and moves that have been made over the last few weeks? I think the the Bengals, uh, the one glaring hole. And and so the two teams I have at the top, uh, one, two, and maybe it's one A, one B are the uh, are the Bengals and the Chargers uh, because they're two really good teams already. Uh, and, and so I pick I put the Bengals at one A then uh, because uh, of the glaring hole that they had at O-line, uh, which seemed to be the uh, the Achilles heel uh, in the Super Bowl. And uh, and to get a guy like Leo Collins, um, and then uh, who else did they get from the uh, from the Bucs? Kara? Uh, uh, yes, Karras, yeah. Yeah, Karras, yeah. Um, so, um, and they signed Alex Kappa too, which is a nice pickup. Yeah, so uh, for for. To, to fortify that position uh, of, of such desperate need, uh, I think is, is huge. Um, and, and I think the, the Chargers are at 1B in the same respect for getting uh, J.C. Jackson uh, and then, um, excuse me, shoring up the, the defensive line too. So uh, I think for, for both of those teams who I think were, were right there, especially the Bengals who made it to the Super Bowl, to fill those, those tiny little spots of, of glaring need, uh, was was huge. Yeah, I I can't argue with the Cincinnati thing. I mean, you add three starting offensive linemen, including a guy like Leo Collins, who at his best is a top ten left tackle in in football, and you're protecting Joe Burrow. And if you're Cincinnati, nothing is more important than that. We know how good they are at skill position, uh, and we know that d- the defense is probably the one thing that I wish that Cincinnati did a little bit more of you know, in this free agency class, because I, I don't know what they're, where they're drafting, how many impactful defensive players they are going to get, but you know, they've drafted well over the last couple of years and they were able to at least bring back a couple of those guys. They kept Jesse Bates, the safety they brought back. Um, so they definitely did some things on the defensive side of the ball that will help them. I just don't think they Eli got Apple a, too. Right? Yeah. I mean, well, Eli Apple was getting cooked. Right. So, I, I mean, <laughs> Eli Apple might as well be a, uh, an an apple bake for how much Ooh. he got, how much he got cooked apple like pie apple pie would have been better <laughs> than that um but for me it's it's the chargers i i don't think the, the chargers offense didn't need any work the only real addition that they added 
um, was Gerald Everett, who that's kind of the one position they didn't really have locked down was the tight end spot. And I think you can get good guys, the Pat Fryermuths. There's a couple of those types of guys in this year's draft you can get in the second, third round. So I would look to them for maybe drafting a guy like that. Their offensive line's in good shape. But the one thing, I mean, the Chargers gave up the 10th most yards and the fourth most points in the NFL this year, uh, this past year on defense. And They've invested in one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, J.C. Jackson. They go out and make the Khalil Mack trade to pair with Joey Bosa on the other side. Uh, we still know they have Derwin Jackson, who has been a, a still very good productive player, but was asked to do so much for them defensively because they had no depth. And then they had Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson, two really good interior, not really good, but two playable. Stater, Austin def- Johnson. There you go. <clears throat> interior defensive linemen just to give them depth there because they had none. They're right in that slot to draft Jordan Davis coming out of Georgia, or at least another good interior defensive lineman in the first round, which I would expect them to do. So their off season's not over yet. They kept Mike Williams, who I think did do enough, especially when he was healthy to warrant the extension and to warrant, you know, the new contract. And I think that there's a clear connection with him and Justin Herbert. And the reason I have them number one, Scotty is because they invested while they still have Justin Herbert on a rookie contract. That is so important. And it shows an off a, a, a front office who is willing to invest, right? I always find it interesting when teams go out there and address the needs that were immediately apparent from like things that we all said, right? The Chargers need interior defensive line help, but they go out and sign two guys for that. They need someone opposite Joey Bosa where they needs they went out and got that. They have Asante Samuel Jr., who was arguably their one of their best defensive players last year, and he was a rookie. So we need to get somebody else out there. Okay, you're going to spend money on J.C. Jackson. And they still have their first-round draft pick, which they can go out and get an impact player. I think they addressed everything that was brutally apparent about this team's weak spots last year. And especially now that you're going up against Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Derek Carr, Devonta Adams in that division, and we also, we've talked to, to death just how good the AFC is uh, outside of just the AFC West. I think right now the Chargers should be one of the top four teams in terms of Super Bowl betting odds, and I'm really curious to see what they do in the draft. Uh, which of those teams on that same list did you disagree with the most? Did you think, actually, you know what, you didn't love that, and it might be a little head-scratching as to why they got added to this list? Um, I think pound for pound, it's probably uh, – I'm going to go with the Jaguars – uh, because look, uh, we talked about the, the Patriots in free agency last year, spending uh, the most that anyone had ever done in free agency. And that turned into a nine and seven year, which, okay, fine. You've got a rookie quarterback. Uh, and I don't think that's a whole lot different here. And I think particularly uh, the, the, the moves that they made, Brandon Scherf, they, they've got Christian Kirk on an $84 million deal. They've got uh, how many other guys did they bring in? I mean, it was it was insane. Uh, they they went on a, on a spending spree in the, in like week one, um, and I don't think there's a ton of value in the guys that they got. Like all of a sudden, where running backs are are becoming more disposable, we're seeing the wide receivers uh, at, as a skill position that uh, that used to carry a lot of value. Now we're overspending for these guys, and, and you give the number three receiver in in Arizona for Kyler Murray. Uh, an $84 million deal to, to play with a second year quarterback that you're still developing and him. Now he's all of a sudden the number one in, in Jacksonville. I don't get it. Um, 
And so I think there's not a ton of value in uh, in the contracts they, that they have, have doled out in free agency for uh, for these guys, even though they have been spending a lot too. And I think their team is better, but from a value standpoint, I don't think that uh, that they've done a very good job. I so my first reaction was the same was to say, hey, you know what, this like Jacksonville, you know, this doesn't make them a competitor or anything. And to me, value is applied based off of what your end goal is. And I think the end goal is what you just said right there, right? Which is that they just want to be competent so that way they can actually start to develop Trevor Lawrence. Because Trevor Lawrence has had to spend this past year basically on his own trying to figure shit out with a head coach who had no interest in, in being there and a head coach who, who was – tanking his potential career as you know a, a, one of the best draft prospects we've seen over the last you know 20 years between him and Andrew Luck I don't think there was a more hyped up quarterback to go number one overall than we had for Trevor Lawrence so if the goal is just to be competent I think they did a pretty good job here and I think that's kind of what Doug Peterson wants right like Doug Peterson wants to build a, a team that he can actually at least do some things with that he knows hey we may not win 12 games we may not even win 10 games but we can win seven or eight we can fight teams hard we can put our quarterback in a situation to learn and get and get better and so for that reason I do like it but I'm with you I don't I didn't love them bringing back um the left tackle Eric no uh Cam Robinson I, I didn't love that one I didn't think they needed to do that Christian Kirk I like Christian Kirk and you know just like every NFL contract once you understand how NFL contracts work. It's not as bad as it seems. The Zay Jones signing after he had a couple of nice plays what? for the Raiders made no sense to me. Yeah. Evan Ingram won one year for eight or $9 million, whatever it is. Okay. I, I'm with that. Give him a, a somewhat dependable athletic tight end. You can go out and make some plays, but again, like it's a one-year deal. A Lucan on the, on the linebacking court. Like that's a ridiculous deal too. I just, I, my point is too, that there were like, there were just guys out there. There were Allen Robinson and, and Robert Woods at wide receiver that they could have had. Uh, Hassan Reddick, who you guys got, that was a great yeah. pickup. Uh, Teron Armstead on the offensive line. Uh, those are guys who, uh, who I think would be of better value than the guys that they got. It's a two-way street though, right? You know, they have to want to go play in Jacksonville or you, you have to play the, you have to pay the Jacksonville tax, which is, Hey, you have to pay extra money in order just to get these players in the door or even willing to meet with you. And that also means, Hey, you know what? They're not in a position to go out there and actually make a splashy signing like an Allen Robinson. You know, Allen Robinson has a limited amount of time left. Would he rather go play for Matthew Stafford or go try to build something in Jacksonville? Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's part of the reason, too, is I think for what they had, I think they got quality players. And I also think there's something to be said for a team that's just saying, you know what? Fuck it. We just want to be better. You know, like we just we just want to be better than what we were, which was the laughing stock of the NFL last year. They have the first overall pick. I, I've been on the record about how I feel about Aiden Hutchinson. I, I think he's a great player. I don't think he should be the number one overall pick. I don't think we're talking about one of the Bosa brothers here. I don't think we're talking about even a Chase Young here. I think we're talking about probably a long-term great veteran who's going to have 75 to 85 sacks, which is a great player to have. It's not the player you're drafting number one overall. Now, yeah. if, if I'm missing things in his evaluation, uh, McShay has seemingly gotten higher and higher in him. I get it, but I would have much rather – you know, gone after Evan Neal or the kid from NC State, one of those two to play left tackle, as opposed to, hey, let's bring in Cam Robinson back for another year. We're going to use the franchise tag on him. 
I didn't love that. The Brandon Scherf, though, if he's on the field, which is the other problem with him, it's a really, really damn good player. Damn good player. And, and I think that's going to help them a lot. Um, but the team that I think I kind of push back the most um, on this list, other than uh, what we were just talking about there with, with the Jaguars, is, is the Raiders. And the Devonta Adams signing or trade, I actually I, I do like. They gave up a lot. They give up a first and second round pick this year, mm-hmm. you know, and I get it. You're you, you want to be in a win now mode and you have Josh McDaniels and you want to get a shiny new toy. But I mean, when's the, when did they play together at Fresno state, Derek Carr and, and Devonta Adams nine, eight years ago, seven, eight years, seven, eight years yeah, ago. A while ago. Yeah. It's been a long time. So I don't buy into this whole, Oh, well they played yeah. together at Fresno state. They have this great chemistry. And, Bullshit. And, you know, who had well, great chemistry with Devonte <laughs> yeah, Adams. Rogers, it was Aaron yeah. fucking Rogers. who's a lot better <laughs> than Derek Carr, you know? Yeah. And, and again, I think he's going to make him better. No question. The Chandler Jones signing. I like Chandler Jones as much as anybody. He had that, what, four or five sack game week one. Mm-hmm. And then he was yeah, a disruptor, but I, I don't know. Is Chandler Jones coming in and changing that defense around? Because they also lost uh, Yannick Ngakwe, who wasn't amazing for them, but was still pretty good. And you're pairing him with Max Crosby, who just had a career year. But the sad thing about the NFL, and I I hope Max Crosby, and they gave him an extension, and his story is amazing, and I hope that he continues to get better. But for all we know, that was an outlier year for Max Crosby. For all we know, Max Crosby could never have another year like that again, right? We're not talking about like yeah. Joey Bosa, who's been one of the best pass rushers in the league for the last four or five years, you know, basically since the day he got drafted. And now you're putting a proven veteran with him. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a guy who had an unbelievable year, led the league in pressures, was one of the top guys in sacks. And you're pairing him with Chandler Jones. And if it works, it'll be great. But I'm still not huge on, huge on it. The one move that um, I do like, too, when they when they flipped Ngakwe was getting Rocky, uh, Rocky Sin, Rocky in, Sin. Um, who is a nice, again, intriguing player, a lot of size, super athletic, but to this point is still unproven. So you're putting a whole lot into a guy that you're not 100% sure on. And I think the only reason that the Raiders are on this list is because of Devontae Adams and then the name Chandler Jones. Um, so I just, I, I just was left thinking like, meh, you know, meh. Uh, some of the other teams again did not get a chance to talk to about this, and then I'll give you a chance to, you know, any honorable mentions that weren't on this list who you think need credit. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens, I thought super sneaky pick sneaky here. Good, yeah. They added Marcus, Marcus Williams, Williams. <laughs> Morgan Moses at the right tackle. Um, <clears throat> they've invested in a bunch of different pieces there. I think the burning question with Baltimore right now is just what is the future with Lamar Jackson? Right. They, they're hesitant to give him. He doesn't have an agent. They're hesitant to give him a long term deal, which I get. Now, there could be stuff going on behind scenes we don't know about. But it feels weird that Baltimore hasn't committed to Lamar Jackson long term after the dude won an MVP in his second year. And before he got hurt this year was single handedly carrying your team as the number one running back and the quarterback. Uh, I just that to me is the biggest kind of thing over the Ravens, which is like I like their offseason. I think so far they've done good. They have to hit on a couple guys in the draft, um, but they added some good pieces on defense. Um, and, and I think they're going to be a really good team again. And it's just making that AFC North that much better. Yeah. It's a weird flex when you know, you have one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the NFL 
uh, to continue doing what you've done for the last 20, 25 years and, and just invest in having a, a stellar defense, which is great. I mean, no, no knock against that. Like you always want that as an NFL squad. Uh, and I think Marcus Williams getting paired with Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters is going to be a problem for teams trying to throw the ball. Uh, uh, which again, though, in a division where guys aren't throwing the ball that much. So uh, we'll see. I, I, I well, especially with, without Roethlisberger being, they there, hadn't, yeah. but now it's going to be Deshaun Watson and Joe Burrow. And I think Burrow is going to take more command of the offense. Cause they, I mean, remember that game against Baltimore when they beat them by like 40, you know, that was a, that was a big one. Uh, and then you're going to have the Cleveland Browns, which is the next team on the list that I wanted to talk about. Uh, the Browns, to me, are, were number two on this list of, of most upgraded. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I've defended. I like Baker. Um, football only right here, he's not even close to the player that Deshaun Watson is, who, again, at his best, could be one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the NFL, if not yeah. even as high as number mm-hmm. one. Um, they also go out and get Amari Cooper, who, sorry, OBJ, and sorry, Jarvis Landry. He's an upgrade over both of those guys. And we still haven't seen – um, you know, Jarvis Landry sign or trade anywhere. I don't think he's been released yet. Right. So who knows, you know, he, they, they gave him the chance to say, Hey, go out and seek a trade. He tweeted something kind of cryptic about, you know, God is good. God. And I was like, Oh, did he sign somewhere? And then I looked up and I couldn't find anything. So it might've just been like a random tweet he put out there, but you look at just upgrading those two things. And yet you still have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt back there. I didn't love bringing back David and Joku. I, I don't get the Cleveland obsession with David and Joku. They hated him for his first three years in the league, and now they like him. He couldn't catch balls. He still didn't have great numbers last year. I don't even think he's the best tight end on their team. But yeah. <laughs> he's. But if he's your fifth option in the offense, then yeah, okay, I like David and Joku. The offensive line is getting a year to be healthy, which is going to be big for him. And the defense was already loaded with young talent that they drafted. I mean, I, I think the Browns are the best team in the AFC North. And I think there's a chance it might be the best team in the NFL. Like, just again, just on paper. With, yeah, with Deshaun Watson at quarterback, whenever yeah. that happens. Yeah. So, so it's hard not to pick them. I think the one thing that detracted and why I didn't have them number one is because they're taking a lot of heat publicly. And just like when, you know, it's a kind of a stretch a little bit here, but, you know, like I said before, when the dream team happens, the off the field stuff and all of the obsession with, oh my God, the Eagles just went out and signed all of these pro bowlers. Like that became the narrative in a sports obsessive town like Philly. In Cleveland, it's going to have the same effect, but on a negative side where it's everybody yeah. talking about the, I don't know if I can be a fan of this team anymore. Not everybody, but half of their fans, you know, looking like the amount of like, you know, blue check mark Browns fans who cover the league and stuff who are like, hey, uh, now I'm a free agent of a team, you know, for any team who, who, you know, submit your applications, jokes like that after the Deshaun Watson signing. I think that narrative and everything that's going to be surrounding the team is actually going to hurt them on the field too, because history tells us when you have off the field stuff, it usually finds its way into the on the field stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, but you're right. I think they are one of the the best on the on paper teams right now uh, in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the other ones I liked uh, that I had on the list was was the Broncos uh, getting uh, Randy Gregory and DJ Jones. Uh, and oh, by the way, adding one of the best quarterbacks in the, in the uh, history of the game along the way. So um, and Russell Wilson. So that that 
that was another team to me that stood out. And I think they did a really good job uh, mm-hmm. bolstering the defense up. Uh, the defense was already pretty good, uh, but they did lose Von Miller in that trade. And then now they're, they're just sort of, uh, uh, and it, who else did they lose in that trade uh, to, to Seattle? Um, uh, uh, Shelby Harris, in Shelby the defensive Harris, tackle. Yeah. yeah. And then Noah uh, Fant as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're losing, no question. You're, you, you lose some talent, the Noah Fant thing, not great. Um, but I think Randy Gregory is better now than the version of, Von Miller getting and they signed pretty comparable deals and I don't yeah. I mean Randy Gregory has plenty of pitfalls as a human being but as a as a guy I mean he he's disruptive man he's I find every time I watch like that was supposed to be Demarcus Lawrence's defensive line in Dallas and it by game two like this year it was like oh yeah. no actually Randy very Gregory clearly is, is very <laughs> clearly the best player um on this defensive line for the Dallas Cowboys there's also still a chance they get Bobby Wagner that was reported mm-hmm. early and we haven't had really a chance to that, that hasn't been official or I, I think Bobby Wagner's still out there. So if Bobby Wagner ends up there, that's obviously would be another great move. I, I'm not, and I'm not against this move for Denver. I'm just kind of left. Like obviously the Russell Wilson thing is huge and that's why they're in this. It's because of the Russell Wilson thing, the Randy Gregory thing. Yeah. Okay. Got a nice player. DJ Jones, another good player. They've got some talent on the defensive line, which is going to help. They have a really, really good quarterback. The rest of their team is young. I, I would have liked to see them make maybe a couple other moves, be a little more aggressive, um, particularly when you think about some of the offensive linemen. Like I think Teron Armstead would have been just as valuable for oh, them yeah. to go after than Randy Gregory. And again, you're talking about a pretty comparable contract. Um, Randy Gregory, his contract's actually bigger uh, on a, on an average, uh, you know, per year basis. So I actually kind of would have rather them. I'd rather see them go heavy on the offensive line. Um, and they don't have a first round pick. So, you know, what's going to happen there? I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but, um, like you said, if you're adding one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, then you're doing something right. Uh, that leaves us with the Buffalo bills, uh, which was another one I thought was kind of an interesting call here that yeah. the Buffalo bills did this, what they did this off season was like, Hey, we are adding ancillary pieces that are hopefully going to take us over the top signing mm-hmm. Von Miller. Um, to add to that rotation of guys is huge and it's going to be really important when they go up against teams. Uh, they also added two defensive tackles, Tim Settle and Daquan Jones, which again, just continues to add depth. The one weak yeah. spot of their D line, because we talked about a bunch last year, how they had the great rotation of guys was they didn't have any big bodies, right? The biggest player Interior, was, yeah. Was, yeah. was Randy Gregory who is an outside guy. And I'd be curious if maybe if he can put on a little more weight because of his height, maybe they can slide him in a little bit and he can play a little more of that three technique. Um, But, you know, Ed Oliver is an undersized interior defensive tackle. He's built very similarly height and weight wise as, as Aaron Donald. He's nowhere near as strong as ripped up as talented as Aaron Donald, but he's built like that where Aaron Donald's always been undersized, but he's used that to his advantage. It just hasn't mattered. Ed Oliver's built more that way. Um, and I think that will hurt them in the playoffs. I think it hurt them a little bit, even in that Kansas city game when they weren't really getting great pass rush. And when they gave the ball to Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, you know, they were able to run the ball pretty consistently against Buffalo in that game. And I think Buffalo adding a little depth there just to have that rotation where then, Hey, Ed Oliver's not playing 60% of snaps. Now you can let him go in and just absolutely rip people up. I think it's uh, an overall pretty good, um, addition and then yeah Von Miller too to add to an already pretty solid group of guys and the other thing they didn't really lose anybody they cut yeah. Cole Beasley 
who hit a wall this, you know, hit a cliff this year. Yeah. Deuces, Cole Beasley. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you on the, or sorry, let the door hit you on the way out. So that's kind of how I feel about the Bills. All in all, I think yeah. it was a pretty good thing. I wouldn't have put them as the best, but I think, you know, sometimes you just got to get a little creative and come up with pitches. Um, are there any teams that weren't on this list that you think should be? I don't know about on the list. I think some some moves like I, uh, that I liked, uh, I alluded to one of them was the uh, was the Eagles getting Hassan Reddick. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, again, one of the, one of the big things uh, – in free agency is addressing glaring needs. Uh, and that was far and away, like one of the, the biggest weak spots of, for the Eagles uh, uh, was that was that linebacker. So uh, to, to get a, a really good player like Son Reddick, uh, I think will, will do uh, a good deal of, of wonders for, for that <laughs> linebacking core. Yeah. I, I didn't want to sound like a Homer, but I actually agree with you. Um, they did a, a few different things. Hassan Reddick was huge, but they also w- just went out and um, and signed linebacker from uh, a Kazir White linebacker from the Chargers. Yeah, he was a converted safety as a Chargers starting tackle last year or starting linebacker. Had 144 tackles, um, four QB hits, two picks, and he had a sack. That should help. He's a kind of raw, unproven guy, but that room needs bodies. And I also still think with the Eagles with three first round picks which I think at this point we can safely say they're going to use all three uh, unless they were to trade around, you know, and maybe pick up a first rounder next year, which I wouldn't hate either because then at least you'll have some ammo to maybe move up. If Jalen hurts, isn't the yeah. guy and you want to go get Bryce young or, or, or somebody else. Um, but I do still think they'll go after a Nicobe Dean or Devin Lloyd, somebody else who can go in. My fear with Kazir white though, is like Alex Singleton was, you know, top five in the league in tackling for most of the year last year anyway, until he got benched. So having a lot of tackles doesn't necessarily mean you're great. <laughs> you know, hundred sometimes it can, sometimes it doesn't, right? You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, some of the baseball statistics that are out there, right? Like on base percentage and stuff like, oh yeah, he got on base this amount of time. I'm like, all right, well, is he a good hitter? Was he walking, you know, or did he score average now? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a batting average now, it's like, it almost doesn't matter if you're batting 300, like that, like it's good. It's for some people it is but it's not necessarily going to say that, oh yeah, you're one of the best players in baseball. If you're hitting 300, having 144 tackles means like, yeah, you're flying all over the field, but he is a little undersized. He is a converted safety, which will help him a ton in, in, you know, the passing game, which is one thing Alex Singleton couldn't do. So I, I do like the signing because there's a lot of um, upside to it. And I didn't like bringing back Derek Barnett, but there wasn't a better option. They brought in Zach Pascal, who's just kind of adding depth on the wide receiver room. Um, they brought back Anthony Harris, which I liked, but then the, the one move that I actually thought was the most brilliant that the Eagles had this year was what they did with Fletcher Cox and, and letting him essentially ter- basically terminating that contract, which credit to him, man, he had a lot more guaranteed money left on that deal. Terminated the contract to help save them in cap stuff. They did have to take a cap hit, but then they were able to work on a new deal to keep him in Philly. Hope for hopefully for this year and next year. And he still, like, if he was on the open market, he still would have gotten a pretty big deal because Fletcher Cox is still a potential game wrecker. I said it all year. I don't love how they used him in Jonathan Gannon's system, but maybe it's just, hey, one year under the belt. This year, we're going to figure something else for you. Plus, you have better edge rushers now with Hassan Reddick, which I thought was just just an awesome signing. So um, I didn't really have too many other teams that stood out. I mean, so many other teams felt like – 
The Dolphins, I would say, would probably yeah, that's a good call. The Dolphins, the Dolphins are should be on that list. Yeah, and actually, I'm kind of surprised that they weren't one. There were eight teams mentioned. The Dolphins weren't one of them. Yeah, um, I mean, just for Toronto Armstead and Toronto Armstead, Tyre, Armstead Tyre, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they brought up some other. They signed a couple other guys too. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited. Chase to watch Edmonds, he Moster. Both of those are great in the running back and both team friendly deals too. Um, the defense is still a little concerning, but hopefully Byron Jones and Xavier Howard will kind of buy in a little bit more this year. They kind of felt a little distracted for most of last year. So <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, well, well they're getting told to lose by one and win by the other. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Poor Brian Flores. I can't, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how all that's going to end up playing out, which probably will take a year because that's how shit works. All right. Uh, let's take a break. Come back. NBA final stretch. Who's the MVP? It could, you could pull a name out of a hat, honestly. That's how good the NBA regular season has been. Uh, and then we'll wrap up with a little bit of Masters talk on the other side. So while March Madness has been heating up, and the NFL hot stove has been on fire, and we got Masters coming up, and a million different things have been going on. We And I'm curious, actually, I want to start here with the NBA here, Scott, because the final stretch has been fascinating, and particularly in the Eastern Conference. We have teams imploding on themselves, getting on fights on the sideline. We have a team who's currently in first place in the Eastern Conference who just lost their defensive anchor. You have Mm -hmm. the reigning champs who have been kind of up and down, but just consistent. I don't say up and down, but for the most part, have been probably the most consistent team. We have the Sixers who added – a superstar midseason. We have Brooklyn, who's just getting Kyrie back. And then you have these three kind of upstart plucky teams in Chicago, Toronto, and Cleveland, who've all been just hanging around. The Eastern Conference has been a fascinating case study in, in yeah. the NBA right and, now. And don't forget about like Charlotte, who's a, a really young team that's playing really good basketball right now. They're on a good stretch. And then but, Atlanta, who's in the conference finals and is like fighting for a, uh, a, uh, a play-in seed right now. Yeah. But this has been the, you know, last year because of the bubble and everything, it pushed the start of last season back to around, I think it was Christmas. I don't know if it was Christmas yeah. day, but it was, might've yeah. been like mid December, early December. Um, and people have been saying for years that the NBA should start then because once you get to what this point in the season is, that was like what May I guess it was, I think it was like May of last year is when we hit the final stretch of the regular season for the NBA. And I feel like this final stretch of the regular season has gone basically unnoticed because we've been so focused on March madness and NFL free agency, and it hasn't kind of gotten its proper due. And so I think it's like, Hey, this is actually kind of a perfect example as to why you should move the start of the season back. And especially after how much basketball these guys have played over the last three Cut some years, of the games too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and that totally could work too. <laughs> But I, I just, you know, these guys have played so many games over the last three years that, like, hey, maybe let's push the start of the season back further, give them a full six months off to kind of recuperate. And, like, let's start in December like we did last year because that was awesome. And the end of the regular season last year, especially with the play-in tournament, ended up actually having some drama in it. And, and we saw even a team like, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies knocked out your, your Warriors in the play-in tournament, right? And so we're going to have a bunch of interesting stuff here in this season's play-in tournaments because – you have the Lakers and LeBron James, who's just putting in points. He's he. This is scoring LeBron. We're going back to like LeBron circa 2007 right now because he's chasing that Kareem record. He's um, banged up though. Here's his ankle. Yeah. And then the Brooklyn Nets, right? Kyrie comes back and we've seen how amazing they can look when those teams play together. 
Uh, the Eastern Conference right now is just it's just crazy. And we were going through the storylines here in, in the break. What is the prevailing team right now that jumps off the screen, right? Because I'm looking at it. I'm like, I, I want to talk about like eight teams in the Eastern Conference right now. So who is the team right now that you want to dive into first? I'll give you the reins. You can play driver here. What team do you want to lead off with? I, I think it's two, and it's, it's the two that nobody are talking about, and they're both out west in, in the top two seeds in Phoenix and uh, in Memphis. Are we going to start Western Conference? All right. Yeah. All right, driver, Scott. Yeah. I. It's just like Phoenix has played out of their mind all year long. 61 wins at this point in the year. And who's talking about it? I mean, DeAndre Ayton's having a phenomenal year. Devin Booker is, is in the conversation for – should be in the conversation for MVP. And, and nobody's talking about them. He's near and the I, conversation. He's not I in the conversation. He's, he's conversation near the conversation adjacent. Yeah, he's putting himself uh, in the conversation more he's than he's leaning other in are. while while everyone's talking about him. And they're the he's just like, hey guys, I'm here too. Uh, he says and, he says he's he walks up to a group of people debating who should be the NBA, and he goes, Devin Booker. Did somebody did somebody <laughs> say me? Did somebody? Yeah, you Whoa. know, I think I have been pretty good this year. It's weird. Yeah. Well, That's now they're crazy. Well, somebody yeah. said somebody brought it up. You know, might as well. <laughs> Yeah, but still, I look that that team is is so good. Uh, what they've and, done and, without Chris Paul has been remarkable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they haven't skipped. They haven't skipped a beat without Chris Paul. And the best Not part about more. adding Chris Paul come a playoff run is that you don't have to change. Like Chris Paul's the most adaptable player in the NBA. He's going to come in and immediately pick up from what he was doing. Devin Booker is going to be able to go back to kind of not being the sidekick, but being the one B to Chris Paul's one A. Mm-hmm. And they're going to end. The one thing that Chris Paul hasn't been able to do in his career for the most part in the playoffs is stay healthy. Yeah. And now he's just got two months off to kind of rest, assuming he comes back fully healthy for the playoffs, even if it's in the second round, I I still think he's going to come in and and assimilate perfectly into that lineup. And they've got a nine game lead. The team that, you know, even if it's the the Timberwolves who've been playing great basketball and they're 10 games over 500 only, uh, you know, if, if that's the team that, that, comes out of the play-in tournament and as the eight seed. Um, and, and so I think, you know, that, that they're just, like I said, nobody's talking about, they're just yeah. playing unbelievable basketball and, and still everything you see on an A block on, on one of these major things is like, Oh, well, the Warriors are still there. They're yeah. hanging around. Um, and so I, I think yeah, Grizzly and Denver's played well yeah, since Lucas I mean, has gotten in just, stage. Yeah. Memphis has just been on a tear recently too. And they're still, they're nine games back uh, from the, from the one seed. So I mean, uh, Phoenix has clinched the one seed already. Yeah. But that's like, right where you want to be. If you're in the West and the one, two, three spot, you don't want to be in the four spot where you're playing the, the, the middle tier teams. Cause those can get nasty. Well, and um, you'll have to play Phoenix in the second round if you get yeah, through, exactly. which is something that you definitely would rather avoid. And what, what's funny, too, is it's like everyone's talking about the East. Like I was even leading off right? how crazy the East has been this year. The Sixers are currently tied for fourth place, and they're a half game out of first right now. You have Boston and Miami tied. Uh, Boston has the tiebreaker ahead. And then you have Milwaukee and Philly tied, and they're both a half game behind those two teams. So the top four teams here, as we approach this seven to eight game stretch mark to kind of close out the regular season is going to get really, really weird. And where, what games you win, what games you lose is going to determine a lot um, based off of what your path to a championship is going to be, especially when you look down and like, Oh yeah, Brooklyn's right now, the nine seed in the Eastern conference, 
and they, you know, they're going to have to play Atlanta in the first round in the playing. Sorry, they'd have to play Charlotte in the play-in game, who right now Charlotte has the head-to-head against them. But Kyrie Irving just got cleared to be able to play home games now. So now you're getting Kyrie Irving every single game. Uh, Brooklyn still, to me, is, is the team that scares you the most because it's Kevin Durant's the best basketball player in the world. I'm sorry, he is. You can say whatever you want. You can say, oh, he's not the MVP this year. I agree, he's not the MVP this year. But he's still, if you if you need one guy in a playoff series in the NBA, there's no one else you're picking before you pick Kevin Durant right now. There's just Don't not. I know it, uh, ever. Uh, <clears throat> uh, but look, they, they do scare me. And the, the other thing, too, with them is, what are you going to get out of Ben Simmons? Because you don't know. I don't think we see. I don't think Ben Simmons plays this year. I I don't think he plays a a single second of NBA basketball this year. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But look, it's still the chemistry that, that is still brewing between that team. They're going to have a a short, uh, a short rope here to to try to figure it out. Well, Uh, and so that goes back to what I was saying too, like for how crazy the East is in the back of my head. And I said this to you before we started recording today, is Phoenix just going to run through all this, right? Like, because Phoenix is 61 and 14. They are 14 games better than the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, granted, the competitive balance in the Eastern Conference has been better. I think there's better teams at the top. But I think they can easily run through the West. You know, I obviously went with Steph's injury to his foot. Like, if Steph was healthy, I, I probably wouldn't say that. Like, oh, it's it's going to be an easy ride. But it kind of feels like, you know, Memphis, they're unproven. Memphis kind of feels like, you know, like Portland when they got to the conference finals against Golden State. And it's like, oh, yeah, Dame, this team, it's fun. But then you, you put them against the better team. And, oh, Semis, yeah, they just conference. Just, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. In the, in the uh, conference. The no, no, no. Was, they played in the conference finals a couple, in, a couple years ago. Yes, they did. Look it up. <laughs> Look it up live on the pod. And then you're going to apologize to me. That was Houston, my man. Mm-mm. They they played each other in the conference finals for one year. Absolutely. I'm going to say. All right, here we go. Live research, live research on the pod. Um, regardless, though, yes, they did. Well, it's the Rockets, the Thunder, the Spurs and the Rockets again. Oh, in 19, we did play the Blazers. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We swept them. <laughs> yes, you did. Fuck you, Scott. Apologize. <laughs> it's all good. I, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Thank you. <laughs> then we, right. we got our, our tail kicked in the uh, in the finals that year. Yeah, that well, that was the Toronto year. Yep. Yeah, it was yeah, 2019. Absolutely. Um, but Memphis feels to me like that, which was that everybody loved Dame. Dame hit the the walk-off against Oklahoma City went over Paul George. Right. And he waved right the Dame time and the, the famous meme of him looking into the camera, all that stuff. Uh, that kind of feels to me like what we're seeing with this Memphis team, which is like, hey, everybody loves Jaw. Jaw's good enough to, to win you a couple, you know, get you to the Western Conference finals. The team in the West that I think has the best shot of, of making noise is Dallas because of how freaking good Luca is. He has an old man game and he's 21 years old, 22 years old. Yeah. He, he can beat you in so many different ways. And he's hit multiple game winners. He hit one, a game winner in the playoffs, in the bubble. Uh, you can't take them out because they also have really good guard play. Jalen Brunson's been awesome. The addition of Spencer Dinwiddie has been awesome. Yeah. And they finally were like, hey, you know what? The Porzingis thing, it's just not working out. Let's just put guys who can score around Luka and let Luka operate and make a bunch of threes. And, 
you know, that might be enough for Phoenix. I, you know, the one good thing for Phoenix is they have Mikael Bridges, who's I think turned into one of the best three and D guys in the NBA. Um, and and yeah. the one thing that uh, Dallas doesn't have is a good big to match up against DeAndre Ayton. And so whoever they put in there is basically going to be a non-factor because of how good DeAndre Ayton is defensively. Um, all right, now let's, but so I, I think we're all, we're in agreement here. Phoenix clear cut team, obviously if Steph comes back, maybe, but I, I don't think there's anybody really who's going to challenge them. The East though is anybody's ball game. Um, Boston, they just lost their anchor defensively in Robert Williams. He tore his meniscus. He's done for the year. That is a really really big loss for the Boston Celtics who have been on a tear since the all-star break. Honestly, since about the midway point in the season, they've been on a tear. Uh, they had a six game winning streak where both Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum and Jalen Browns averaged, or, but they scored 25 or more in each of those games. The last, the only other duo to do that in over a six game win streak were Elgin Baylor and uh, Jerry West. And then um, good company, uh, Kobe Bryant and Shaq. That those are the only guys who have ever wow. done that. So, so we're talking about like some elite scorers, but there's always weird stretches and stats like that in the NBA that, you know, it's nice company to be in, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. They don't have bigs depth. They, they, had, they don't have a lot of depth anyway, but Robert Williams had finally taken the step defensively that everybody thought he could. And the fact that now he's out is going to hurt them. If they play Milwaukee and they have to deal with Giannis, if they play Miami, whose best player is Bam Adebayo, they have no one. If they play Philly, Embiid's going to average 40 points a game against Boston because they have nobody who can check Embiid, especially with how many fouls he draws. Um, Boston is in some serious trouble. They were actually the team that I thought, you know what, Boston? Like I finally had kind of bought into Boston last week as like, you know what? They could actually go win the title this year. And without Robert Williams, I think that's gone out the window. Um, and then Miami, who's right up there tied with them for, for number one. What is going on there? What I mean, four and six in their last 10 games. Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butlering it up right now where he's just wants to fight everybody. I love that the one dude in the league that he challenged but clearly wanted no smoke with was Udonis Haslam. Yeah. <laughs> 40, 49-year-old Udonis Haslam yeah. strikes fear into the heart of every single person in the NBA, and I love that. But Duncan Robinson is not the guy who they paid that contract for. Tyler Heroes had an awesome bounce-back year after a disappointing sophomore year. Kyle Lowry is showing his age. Jimmy Butler is showing the wear and tear as well. I think if you are Boston, or sorry, if you're Brooklyn and you're looking at getting in as like the eight seed or the seven seed, you, you would love <laughs> either one of those teams ahead yeah. of you that you would get in the first round. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because look, and again, it's it'll it would come down if it's Boston. There's no way that 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 defensively they could stop KD and Kyrie. Uh, and if it's Miami, I I think that team is in enough shambles that they don't know what the hell they're doing on either side of the ball. Um, save for for Autobio, just like on, on the defensive end, but like, and I love Bam, but Bam's not a guy who's going to carry a team through a playoff run. Yeah. I, 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 I just don't. I think he's like a better version of DeAndre Ayton, but he can't be. He's not Embiid. He's not Giannis. He's you know a step below those guys, and he's a really really good player. But I don't think he's enough to carry you you know through a championship run. And I'll say this: I think Bam is as good of a player. I think him and Giannis are as good of play, player you can find to match up against KD. Mm -hmm. So that they have going for them. Boston, 
I mean, you're hoping that Jason Tatum, who's become a very, very good defensive player, um, you would hope that Jason Tatum would do enough, but nobody's stopping KD. Yeah. And, and I don't think with, you know, are you, are you putting on 35-year-old Jimmy Butler or 36-year-old Kyle Lowry on, on Kyrie? Because I, I don't think good either luck. one – Yeah, I don't <laughs> think either one of those is a good matchup for him. And Boston, you know, yeah, you could put Tatum on Durant and Jalen Brown on Kyrie, and at least you have something there. But I, I still don't think that would be enough for them without the rim protection of Robert Williams, who's, again, become, I think, one of the elite, you know, rim protector athletic bigs in the league when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, right up there with Bam. And um, I wouldn't quite say Giannis yet, but he was kind of on that trajectory if he could, you know, could put together a couple of years of that. Um, and so then after those two at the top, you get to Milwaukee and Philly, which it's funny because they're, at, they're tied right now, 46 and 28. But they couldn't be two polar opposite teams. You have the team of continuity. You have Coach Bud there for his fifth season. You have Giannis, you know, Kate, uh, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. You have a, a set three who played a lot of games together, have won a championship together. They have an okay bench, not super deep, but an okay bench. Not having Brooke Lopez for most of this year has absolutely hurt them, and, and they're going to ask a lot of Giannis. But And we're going to get to the MVP conversation here after we finish up the Eastern Conference uh, and these two teams in particular. But I think Giannis has as good of a case, if not the best case, for MVP of the, of the entire league this season. But there's voter fatigue, which is for some reason a real thing when we talk about MVPs in, in the NBA. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, just if they're good, they're good. I don't know. <laughs> like, what difference does it make uh, whether, whether you are the one having to put the team on your back uh, and be the good player or whether uh, the team around you is also good and you're still a really good player. Like what difference does it make to me? I don't know. I, I like of the two Milwaukee's given me the most reason to believe that they can make a run uh, Philly for as good as they were right after they, they got hardened. I, I don't know if they it was know the Brooklyn, what, it was the Brooklyn game, the Brooklyn game broke their brains. It was. And then, and then I, like Maxie's been okay, but Tobias Harris, I don't, I don't know if he, if he knows what his role is anymore. So that's been, that's been a big problem. Well, ironically, Tobias is like finally getting hot for the first time. You know, yesterday they played Phoenix. They ended up losing that game, but I think Tobias had like 30 points, yeah. you know, like Tobias finally is starting to get some sort of a role in that, but that's again, like why it would have been nice to have a full 82 games with this team for everybody to know because I get it. Tobias is one of the most overpaid, if not the most over now Russell Westbrook's the most overpaid, yeah. but he's, <laughs> he's one of the most overpaid <laughs> players in the NBA, but he still can be a really, really like if Tobias Harris was on a $15 million a year contract, instead of a $35 million a year contract, we'd be talking about him as like, Oh the my God. Best and value they have, in the NBA. And they have <laughs> Tobias Harris, and, yeah. but we all go back and we're all, our brains are all set and how we value these guys based off of their contracts. Right. Because we care so much of the free agency and the off season, as much as we do the regular season, the actual season in the NBA. Tobias, if he can kind of get his owner there, but going to my point there is that we have the team of continuity versus the team that doesn't know what they are team with a lot of talent, arguably more talent. Maxie's been awesome. I fucking love Tyrese Maxie uh, and, and James Harden. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know what to make with James Harden. He's terrible in the playoffs. And the the shitty thing is is that like yeah, yes. the real conversation around Sixers fans right now is that Tyrese Maxey should be the one. Second year player Tyrese Maxey should be the one closing out games instead of James Harden. 
you know, and not to say that James Harden should be on the court, but that he shouldn't have the ball. Yeah. (laughs) That he shouldn't have the ball in his hand. And that is scary as a Sixers fan, right? If we're now making the argument that Tyrese Maxey should be the guy with the ball in his hands at the end of the game, other than the guy that they're going to end up having to pay almost $70 million a year for in the next couple of years. Like I, I don't love that, but I do love the team, the pieces, um, the one nice thing is, you know, when Matisse Stiebel scores 10 points or more this year, the Sixers, I'm pretty sure, are undefeated. So if you can get, uh, you know, Ty- uh, uh, Matisse Stiebel on some backdoor cuts, let him kind of move, find his way to the rim, alley-oops, he's a ridiculous athlete. But you have to have him on the floor because he's so good defensively. James Harden needs to be needs to be good. But Embiid, after the Harden thing and then the Brooklyn game, it, it kind of started to waver there a little bit. And now in this last week, Embiid's like, I might not win MVP now. I need to turn it on. He dropped 37 on DeAndre Ayton last night in Phoenix. Um, and, and Phoenix ended up winning the game by a couple points. But I, both of these teams, like the team of continuity is the team I trust the most. It's the team that I, I, I believe is the best team in the East. And that's the Milwaukee Bucks. I think the Sixers have the, I think the Sixers and Brooklyn have the two highest ceilings. And, I also, sure. and I also think that. And the Celtics. And I also think, you know, I've heard a lot about the whole like, oh, well, once it gets into the postseason, this slowed down half court basketball that the Sixers play is going to be better. Well, a lot of the reason the Sixers are good at slowing it down is because of how often they get to the free throw line and they're not going to get any as many whistles. So I think the two of them kind of cancel each other out and that, yeah, the half court yeah. basketball is going to help them and help and bead. But he's also not going to get to the line as much as he's been doing this year. And same goes for James Harden. And we've seen, hey, when you in James Harden in the past, when you're reliant on getting to the line, that's going to hurt you in the postseason yeah. when, when they start to officiate the game differently. It's it's good half court basketball if you're moving the ball in the postseason. It's not good when it's just ISO ball, which is a lot of what the Sixers are playing when they do it get in half court like that. Yeah, no, no question. Um, all right, MVP, and then our last break. Uh, it, to me, it's a three person race. I know, you know, Devin Booker has made a late charge. He's not in the conversation. No, DeMar DeRozan was in it and flirting around with it for a while. He's not in the conversation. No, LeBron has even flirted with it. And I'm sorry, LeBron stance. He's not in the conversation. It's three guys. It's Embiid, it's Jokic, and it's Giannis. What Jokic is doing is very reminiscent to me of the Russell Westbrook MVP year, which Mm. is that it's a terrible team around him. Um, the only difference being is that the Thunder were manufacturing that triple-double for him. You know, KD had just left. It, that team was in a weird spot, and they they were intentionally doing it that way. They were intentionally setting it up so that way Russell Westbrook could average a triple-double and be the first guy since Oscar Robertson to do it. And then he did a couple more years. And shocker, we realized, oh, wait, we don't actually give a shit about this, and why did we care so much the year that he did? Because we're talking about the sixth seed. Denver, right now, they're the five seed in the Western Conference. I love Jokic. I think he's unbelievable. And I think actually what he's done right now, sorry, six seed, um, what they've done, what he's done right now is way more impressive than what Russell Westbrook did. Um, But ultimately, we're in the same kind of results. Now, that OKC team was not 13 games above 500 like this Denver Nuggets team. No. No, and the, and the the way that Jokic plays that runs through him like the offense did in OKC with Westbrook, but it doesn't it doesn't need to be facilitated through well other way around it it doesn't have to run through him but it get it needs to be facilitated through him because yeah. uh, because he does so much off the ball to attract attention and, and get other players open off the ball or 
when he's with the ball, he can he's a, a true triple threat, right? You can put the ball on the floor and drive. You can shoot from outside and mid range, or he could he could dish the ball off, and he's one of the best big men passers in the NBA. He's averaging 26, 13 and a half rebounds, about eight assists, and is leading the league in PER, your player efficiency rating, um, at 32.76, which is just it's insane, ungodly number. Uh, I don't think the numbers at the end of the season will be enough to get him the MVP, and he also won it last year, and they're the sixth seed. But it's hard to argue that anybody's been he, – he's been the most important player to his team. That I absolutely believe. Then um, you have, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I, you know, I, I get it. Like, and Bede <laughs> through the first half of the year, you would say that they were kind of in that same yeah. boat. But um, I think now, I mean, Embiid's just Embiid's been ridiculous, and we'll get to him in a second. Um, Giannis, Giannis is putting up the best numbers of his career. This is the best statistical season that Giannis has ever had. Um, he's third right now in the league in scoring um, behind. Uh, LeBron, who just overpassed or uh, passed over Embiid last night, um, even though Embiid still had 37. And yet LeBron, I think, had like 39 on Saturday, and that ultimately kind of changed it. Um, Giannis, it's he's reaching that Patrick Mahomes, Steph, you know, year three of of the Golden State run where it's just like guys are just kind of getting bored with how fucking ridiculously good this guy is. Uh, it's uh, averaging 30 points a game. He, he's carrying them through. Uh, he's not carrying them. I shouldn't say that. He yeah. is um, driving them to, to this point where they're at, right? He's averaging 30, uh, 12 rebounds and six assists a game. He's essentially a center, but he's also kind of a forward and he's also kind of a guard. He's kind of doing everything Jokic is doing um, with less passing and more physical dominance. He's also, in my opinion, the best defensive player in the league. I, I don't think there's anybody who could guard one through five to the same extent that Giannis can. You know, I think there's, there was an argument for Ben Simmons when he was playing at his best. But I, I think Giannis at his length and his size, I mean, they say he's 6'11", 240. He's, I, he's over seven feet tall, man. And his wingspan is still so ridiculous. Uh, we're just at this, you know, voter fatigue thing with Giannis where I think for, for whatever reason, we just want to jump to the next guy. We want to know the next big thing. We can't just sit there and be like, this dude should win MVP pretty much every year that he's been in the league. Like, not been in the league, but every year in these last three years. And he's already won two MVPs. Do you think market has anything to do with that? Like, it was, <clears throat> it, it took a long time for a, a small market team like Milwaukee to win one, and they finally did. And now it's just like, okay, you got yours. You got your MVP. Get out of here, okay? Uh, now it's uh, Philly, Chicago, New York, uh, LA time, Okay. I think may, maybe a little bit, but I, I mean, I also think it's like, I mean, like to use the football analogy, Kansas city, like, I, I just think teams get tired or fans get tired of teams and players that just win all the time. They just want something different, you know? And so I think they're just, I think it's more voter fatigue. He's again, he won two MVPs, won two defensive player of the years and won a title. And Oh yeah. By the way, this is his sixth season in the NBA. I mean, yeah, he, and, but I hate and, that. I hate that argument anyway, but, the fact that they're a three seed and a half a game out in a stacked East uh, or a competitive East rather, if they were where the, where the Suns are right now, sitting at 61 and 14, I, I, I would listen to that argument. I tell you you're wrong, but I'd listen to it. Uh, but, but to be this competitive in, in a, in a competitive conference, like 
I don't understand that at all. He's had to do more this year, and I don't think it's been appreciated because I don't think people have recognized how disappointing Chris Middleton has been relative to his other seasons where he's been really important. So I think it's a good point, Scott. I think it's a good point. Um, The last one is Embiid, who I think is going to end up winning it, uh, especially if Philly ends up as the one seed. Uh, And and maybe that ends up deciding it. I mean, I think statistically – I, I think Giannis's numbers are, are better than Embiid's. He's been more efficient. I think I think he's more impact. They're both ridiculously impactful defensive players. Um, but I think it's hey, it's something new, and it's this thing that's always been around in the NBA where it's like okay, it's this player's turn, right? Okay, Magic won two MVPs, and okay now or Larry won two MVPs, but Magic won the championships in the first couple of years. All right, you know what, Magic, it's your turn to get it. And it, it, the MVP has kind of been passed around that way for a long time in the NBA, for better or for worse. Um, but I, I do think it'll end up being Embiid. I think the fact that he's answered all of the health questions, can he stay healthy and be this good through a whole season? The answer is yes. He's been as good defensively as anybody in the league this year. He's – knock on wood. Thank you, Scotty. Um, and uh, I, I, I just – I think it's Embiid's – I think it's Embiid's turn. I don't think he's the – I don't think he – is the MVP, at least not to me. And that's coming as a Sixers fan. But I do think it's his turn to win the MVP. And that's why I think Embiid ends up getting it at the end of the day. It's a weird argument. No, I, I agree, though. I think it's going to come down to the – to the, it's, uh, it's dumb. I hate it. I think it's yeah, – I, I don't like it. it. But it's just – it's how it works. It's how it's always worked. It's so bizarre. dumb. Uh, I think it does come down to – and look, we're having a different conversation if Denver is somehow in the top four mm-hmm. uh, in the West. Uh, with Jokic because then to me that's a no-brainer um, yeah uh, but I think it will come down to whichever of these two guys uh, whichever team ends up with the one seed yeah or closest right. to <laughs> uh, we'll save the all NBA debate for uh, Friday's pod because I do want to get into that because all three of these guys deserve to be first team and when you vote for the all-star you can pick front court versus back court so you could have two centers in as starters right you can have three forwards in as starters um, you don't have to have a center and two forwards. The all NBA voting doesn't work that way. At least it hasn't traditionally. And the NBA has, is, you know, they, they decide every year, basically like what you're allowed to vote for. It's a really dumb process, but they do it anyway. And, um, and I just think that's a, a worthy conversation, but, uh, to wrap up the pod, I wanted to talk a little bit of masters with you because, uh, the no. viewers, the viewers right now can't see your background, but in a week they will be able to see your background. Uh, and well, Hogan Bridge. We got the, the Hogan Bridge. The Augusta. Down there at Amen Golden Corner. Bell. Um, Nathan Hubbard, if you aren't familiar with who Nathan Hubbard is and you're not a big golf fan, um, he is, his brother is on tour, has been on a, and around the tour, been back and forth in the Corn Ferry and the PGA. Um, he is a, a golf media guy. He does work with the Ringer for the Fairway Rolling podcast, which is up there with just about any of them. And, and I think the four play guys from Barstool do the best job at covering golf. Um, Nathan Hubbard uh, and, and Joe house from the fairway rolling podcast. Uh, they do just a fantastic job, especially for like gambling and stuff. If you like betting on golf, he had a, a, a tweet that really kind of went unnoticed. Um, and this weekend. And when I saw it, it had been out for like five or six hours, but it only had like 30 likes on it. It, all it said was simply, he's playing. And that's all it was. Just as, as simple as he's playing. And mm-hmm. if you have been following golf at all, there's been a lot of intrigue about 
is Tiger Woods going to make his redemption? Is he going to show up at Augusta for his first competitive tournament on the PGA Tour since the accident over a year ago? Now, Nathan Hubbard is as locked into the tour as anybody. He travels with the tour a lot. He'll go to the majority of the events. He's very close with a lot of the players. He's a very, very, very trusted source. He didn't say who was playing, and he didn't say what tournament. All he said was he's playing. But it really does feel like that was implying that Tiger Woods might be making his return at Augusta. Don't do that, Jeff. Your your thoughts. Come on. Dude, if that happens... I don't know how you can't sprinkle some shekels on that. Just like the like idea of Tiger. Yeah, I'm not saying bet the farm. Uh, the idea of Tiger at Augusta. Just uh, after such a great, I see again. I, I I divulge into this, but I love spring. There's so much going on, and we've had such a great tournament. Baseball's back, and we've just talked about the stretch run in the NBA uh, before we hit the playoffs, and now the cherry on top for me every year is the masters mm-hmm. a tradition unlike any other and it doesn't feel the same without tiger especially since 2019 um so man if he's there and that's the that's the comeback uh from the the latest accident then uh, what what a that's that's oh i got goosebumps thinking about it <laughs> i'm i'm i'd be like if that if he actually does do that I, I don't know if, I mean, look, as a fan, I will love every second of it. And also, by the way, the best part about the masters you were saying is if March madness, the whole thing is having a wild night out getting hammered March madness are the Tums that you wake up the next day and Advil and water that you're drinking where it's like, Hey, we just had three weeks of insane basketball and high action and like ADHD, like, Oh my God, there's a million things going on. And then the masters is just, it's just a deep sigh. It's just a nice deep breath and everybody's relaxed and just watching. Right. So it's, it's such a perfect event. Um, but tiger being there after everything, after, I mean, I, I, w- I found it laughable when, when we were talking about him and Charlie Woods playing the adult son, you know, pro-am that they did uh, the adult, the father son pro-am that they did uh, back in, in January. And, and everybody was going nuts. Like, Is it possible? Is it possible? And tiger was very like, vehement and saying like no like I, I i don't think my body's gonna be ready for it because the one thing about augusta that you never realize watching on tv is the amount of walking up and down it, it, the undulations on the fairway even just how up and down it goes it, it, it's a brutal brutal course to walk and to play and asking him to do that after the traumatic injury and everything would be crazy but if there's anybody who could do it it'd be tiger woods man yeah and then you, oh. you, you compare that to this is the first time since I think 1997 or like 1995 that um, Phil Nicholson's not going to be playing at Augusta mm. because, and mm. we've talked Weird about this spot. On that, huh? Yeah. Right. And, and these two guys who've been rivals forever. I mean, I don't think the gap between Phil and tiger and likability and all that stuff will have ever been bigger than what it'll be if tiger plays at Augusta that weekend and everybody looking around being like, wow, Phil Nicholson's not here. Um, but it, it, again, if you're a golf fan, this has to pique your interest and this has to get you excited for the masters. And even if you're just a casual sports fan, it's definitely going to get you excited and interested, uh, in, in the masters. And, um, I, I can say definitively Scotty, you and I are both, uh, we're chomping at the bits to, 
to hear Jim Nance. And uh, I also love when ESPN has it the, on Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. My, yeah. Scott Van Pelt. Scott Van Pelt's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. I, yeah and I, I, as much as I like Jim Nance, I hope that at some point Scott Van Pelt takes over for Jim Nance and is the main play-by-play guy for all major tournaments because wouldn't hate it. SVP is amazing at calling golf and the best part about SVP is he's when you hear him talk about it off air and or in a podcast, like not on the actual broadcast. He's like, yeah, man, last year was the first year they had it. He was like, we were winging it. <laughs> he's like, I've never done that. He's like, I never had yeah. to do it, but he's so freaking good that it, yeah. just, it works perfectly. You know, it's, it, he, it's that combined with, I think the, the appreciation for what you're doing and where you are like yeah. to be at a oh, so dream of mine. If you're listening, uh, anyone on the, uh, on the, board that hands out tickets I, my my tickets are going in it for 2023 if either uh, one of us have for the last seven years if either one of us wins the raffle we have to have like one of those packs we're like hey we're gonna bring the other one yeah yeah ah, and you you said it on a you said it on a recording too so that's legally binding i believe um <laughs> but yeah okay. so hey <laughs> keep your eye on the big cat making his return all right uh that's all we got for today scotty thank you my man appreciate it we will be back Always. on Friday. We did get confirmation from Vito. He changed his travel schedule just to be around for the 100th episode. So episode 98 is in the books, episode 99 on Friday, and then Tuesday next week, episode 100 of The Read Option will be coming your way. So for the boys, thank you all for listening. We will be back later on the week. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Make it a great week. Do something nice for somebody. Give somebody a hug. And, uh, and keep thinking about Tiger Woods walking down 18th, uh, hopefully in his Sunday red, because I think we all I think we all deserve that after the last couple of years. Um, we'll talk to you guys then. Take it easy, everybody. Peace.